Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And that was the first time. Sorry, Lee Trevino. Lee Trevino and Fuzzy Zeller. Fuzzy And I can tell you this. You can tell I'm a bit verbose. I didn't get a word in. I just laughed the whole night. Till when we didn't, we, we, we left there about one thirty. Right? A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. <laughs> Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Golf Course. The sun is shining. The birds are about, and there's a sudden buzz in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. Fifteenth hole here. Drivers recommended. <laughs> oh, is he a caveman? Because it's suddenly clubbed that one. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> oh my! Golf. G'day and welcome. This is golf. Golf the podcast. Andrew Datto is my name. I'm a professional golfing enthusiast and uh, my objective is simple. It's to bring you a colourful identity from the the game of golf each and every week. And this week is a ripper. John Evans, uh, the former voice of New Zealand golf, a 40-year professional and more, like a whole lifetime in golf. So he's great. He's coming in a moment. I just want to do two bits of business. One is this, with a big dog golf company. Uh, We had a giveaway last week. Um, and the winner to get a set of head covers for their woods was Ben Flavel. Good on you, Ben, or Ben Flavel. Uh, ben Flavel, Ben Flavel. Uh, either way, you are the winner of a beautiful set of head covers from the Big Dog Golf Company. So if you want to follow um, Mark and check out his gear, it's big underscore dog underscore golf underscore co. And uh, he's got some lovely stuff. In fact, we'll do it again. I'm keen to talk to him so he can uh, talk through just what he goes through to create one of these beautiful um, bespoke uh, head covers. Really lovely. Um, And the other thing is just a reminder, give us a follow. If you're enjoying the podcast, hit follow and it will turn up for you. All right. To uh, the one and the only John Evans. 40 years of tournament golf, the voice of New Zealand golf for over 20 years, a gun golfing punter, an antique dealer, a, go- a golf club collector and trader, done some massive trades, a hickory aficionado, um, and still a very, very fine golfer. He's a, a great player. Um, I put it to him that given he was a very handy professional and a commentator and a club builder and a maker of his own brand of golf clubs, he could well be seen as New Zealand's Jack Newton. 
like under those conditions, he could be New Zealand's Jack Newton. That's where we picked up the conversation. Um, well, given Jack was the voice of golf and he was such a brilliant player when he was playing. and Yeah, he was a lot better than I was, I can assure you that. And I saw Jack when he was 15 at, uh, at uh, Kingston Heath. We were playing a junior tournament and uh, Jack was behind me. And on the seventh at Kingston Heath, I hit a nine iron from a third shot and hit it about 15 foot past two putted. And as I walked off the green, a ball landed beside me. And uh, I, uh, when I got in, I said to Jack, I said, what did you hit for your third shot at the, at the seventh, Jack? He said, a putter. <laughs> he did a five-iron onto the green. He was a, he was a prodigious player. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, I think it's a tragedy, that, a couple of tragedies, but one of them was he, he didn't win a British Open or a Masters, which I thought he, he, he could have. Yeah. But anyway, um, no, um, a Japanese magazine came out and interviewed me and did a piece and they – they called me Mr. Golf, right? So I like that. Okay. Uh, why would I? Why would I go why against not? that? And also, and also, a club designer and a maker of clubs, and literally, you know, hundreds of thousands of sets with Evans Golf. So you've literally done the whole. You've done the whole gamut. I felt that um, that there wasn't any part of the game that I hadn't either tried to do. Um, some I did better than others. Um, and and I and I'm comfortable with the fact that there that there wasn't a great deal of the game that I couldn't do. I I, I collected golf memorabilia for about 35 years, uh, made a successful business of that. I I won five tournaments. I should have won a few more, but um, <laughs> the yips got me. So do you? Well, maybe we should talk about the yips. Maybe we'll get to the yips a little bit later on. Um, you won five, should have won others. So looking back. What? How do you look at the the wins and the losses? Like how fond, obviously the wins fondly. I think the Peter Thompson description was uh, was the best when when they asked him what he thought about winning five British Opens. He said, "I lost twenty, right? So I lost thousands." But um, I think I, I I only ever lost one tournament that I led. Um, and that was the New South Wales foursomes at Concord. I played with Neville Mullen, and we were ten in front with eight to go. And uh, <laughs> and on the on the on the eleventh hole was a par five, and I I said Neville said drive it up the right, and I'll get it on the green for two. And I I drove it up the middle, and he and he had a huge gum tree in the way, and he said I'm going to hit a driver. <laughs> And I, uh, the tree's about 200 foot high and I'm thinking, I don't think that's right. I said, hit a four iron out to the right and I'll pitch it on. We'll get a par and go to the next hole. Anyway, he hits this driver, it rattles around in the... T- he nearly got it over. It rattles around in the top of the gum tree and dropped down and it was Zoranthia, which is a black boy. And that was the end of that. And uh, from then on, we played sword fight, fight of the bit and got beaten by Bruce Hodson and Bugsy Moran. Right. But that was the only one I ever lost when I got to the front. And... Um, um, you played. I mean, so you played. You played a couple of British Opens. Yeah, and I I played probably fifteen or twenty Australian Opens, and yeah. about uh, about the same number of maybe more New Zealand Opens. Um, I won. Have you ever heard the twelfth man on horse racing, <laughs> where he says every horse out of S in its name? Well, I won in my first tournament. I played as a pro. I won at um, I won at Royal Melbourne, but I won at Sunshine. Then I won at Seabrook. And then I won in Samoa, so so every horse, every every course had an incident's name right, right. for a while, 
And then I won the New, Ze- the New Zealand PGA foursomes um, with Mike Moynihan, who is the pro emeritus at the Royal Auckland Golf Club. And, uh, and, and on that trophy, Nagel and Thompson had won it, I think, nine times. And it was a who's who of New Zealand golf, which was a, so it was a tremendous honour to win that event. Um, so what's happened to these these tournaments that like you've mentioned foursomes twice now and then you know Thompson Nagel and they were obviously a really big deal but it's literally I mean the only one I can think of is the Zurich Open a few weeks ago that Cam Smith and Leishman won but we don't see four ball which is a four ball sorry it's not even foursomes sorry foursomes foursomes was the original game Uh, there was there, there was no stroke play probably until maybe 1860 and prior to that, every match was a foursomes match. Two players playing alternate shots, um, no no bisques, no second tee shot. One, the bloke hit the odds, the other guy hit the evens, and uh, they played foursomes. And, and, and it's a terrific game because it doesn't only require you to be, to be mentally stable, it requires your partner to be <laughs> mentally stable and the two of you to be mentally stable all the time. If one person drops the ball then it's amazing how quickly the whole thing can collapse so you so you, it's quite a difficult game and, and a lot of fun and they do play it in the Ryder Cup of course yeah but um so foursomes is a fantastic game and and I I won a lot of foursomes strangely enough I, I broke the course record at the first club I was at I won the Huntingdale Club foursomes I should have won the New South Wales PGA foursomes clearly and I won the New Zealand one you know and I also won another one I can't remember but I won, I, so I won four or five of them and um, and for some reason the other guy could putt, so that 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 always helped. Yeah, with the mental game, and and if so, if you're f- mentally strong, but your partner's falling apart, how do you negotiate their well-being? And 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 so just for like the amateur now, you know, you're playing with even in a group of four, and you're all playing against each other, but someone's falling apart. How do you how do you can you help someone's mental state? The best way is to walk in. Walk in. Just walk in. What do you mean? Well, both of you walk in. Leave. Have a beer. Yeah. <laughs> but but if you if you if you're a bit if it's a bit serious and you're going okay, then the trick is is to play the next shot perfectly, so that you revitalise their their. Um, their well-being, they think, okay, well, he's hit it out to a foot. I can make that, and he and 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 he makes that, and then it's his tee shot, and he feels good about it. So yeah. it's all. I don't think, you know, I, I guess a good caddy um, could do it because they're used to that with each player, and a good caddy would would do what he would normally do in those circumstances. But everybody's got, um, if you think about it, everybody's got some kind of mental weakness. And, and it's pretty hard to figure out what the solution is for them. Okay. It's hard enough to figure out what it is for you. So what, what was your mental – well, what was your mental – because we don't want to make it negative. So first, what was your, what was your strength? Um, well, I, 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 I played at Huntingdale. Um, and Huntingdale, when I was there, if you hit it a yard off the fairway, you couldn't find your ball, the, the – um, the bush used to come right to the edge of the fairways and you had to drive straight. So we learnt to drive straight under pressure. And so that was a huge advantage is that you, you pretty much rarely missed a fairway. 
Um, and I was a pretty good iron player and a very, very good pitcher. Um, I would, I can remember in the where, when I should have won the New Zealand PGA Championship, the last, the first six holes of the last round, I hit it within four feet, and I didn't make any of them. It didn't really help me much. But, uh, I like but the way so, you close so, your eyes as you tell that story and oh, shake your head. Well, and I mean, it I still hurts, think, doesn't it? Well, well, the thing was is, is that, that Eddie idiot putting for me, I would have got and Kel Nagel won. And I've got to tell you this lovely story. <laughs> I shot. 66 67 and i'm sitting in the in the locker room on my own changing my shoes thinking you know what a good boy am i and kill walks in and he said to me he said young evans he said i knew you were going to win one of these soon well the head got to football size or basketball size immediately and the next day i hooked it on every shot and there was a it ran around the race course and i hit the the uprights of the running rail three times right. and birdied those three holes. And when I got in, I played with Lindsay Sharp and he shot 63. He played very well. And he looked at the card and he said to me, he said, Jay, he said, he said, I think you've had 100, but it says 70 here. So how does that work? <laughs> Did you win the tournament? No, I finished fifth. Right, yeah. so you got ahead of yourself. You've, you've done yeah. the early crow and gone. Yeah, well, well, he did the early crow. That was the thing. He, he completely – they were smart. Him and Thompson were very smart. And they wouldn't say much. But it was all, you know, it was all game, wonderful gamesmanship, which you had to understand. And he got me there, right there and then. Right. And then he was. So he knew what he was doing. Oh, you know, so what was it like teeing it up with those guys? Would you go – I mean, and, and so Thompson in particular, obviously he was a legend whilst he was playing, although would you have even said that at the time? I mean, oh, is absolutely. this – absolutely. Are you – He was – He was. it was – like, uh, Frankie Canellan used to arrange his practice games and he and he said to me one day, he said, Jay, he said, Tomo wants to have a game with you at, at, at uh, St. Clair in Dunedin in the practice round and I said, oh, well, that's fantastic, Right. And we play with another guy whose name shall remain nameless, who questioned Tomo's knowledge of the game. He said, I don't care how many British Opens you won, Peter, you're not right about that. So when we got to the 18th green, nothing having been said for 10 holes by anybody, we got to the 18th green and he went into the, to the toilet and Tomo said to Frank, he said, now Frank, he said, he said, young Evans will be okay next week, but that other fellow is not quite up to it. So, so... Playing with Tomo was fantastic, yeah. and he he was forty eight when I first played with him. Okay, and he hit the ball magnificently and and purely and very straight. And um, was he past his prime then? Well, it was only probably four or five years later he went over to America and won nine tournaments. So yeah, he could okay, still so play. no, but he wasn't he wasn't you know I mean Meadax Mellish. He hit it 60 or 70 yards past him. The long hitters were... And that's that's a big um, advantage. So the... Um, uh, I, he, he, and he, I don't think he played as much then either. He was doing a lot of course uh, design hmm. and had other business interests and things. He, but he, when he went back and started practising again, he, he was phenomenal. So, you know, would you would you be in awe when you played with him or were you that sort of that young stallion going... He used to call me good. A good player, good Evans, good Evans, <laughs> as in good heavens. Yeah, right. And, and 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 he had that little twist in him that made you think that 
I don't think he really means this, you know. <laughs> right. And so, you know, but but he was he was he was beautiful, and he and he and he, every now and then he would come out with a snippet of information, which was golden. Mm. You know, you you'd, you'd he'd, he'd he'd say something. I mean, I remember. I can't show you this uh, description, but it's nice if I did. But basically, he said, that, "This is the thing he said." He said, "You know." He said, I, I played with Sam Snead many years ago, and he said, it doesn't matter whether your fingers are like that or like that. In other words, your grip's closed or, or as long as your fingers are touching the grip. And So did he mean your fingertips are touching yeah, the grip? Like a, like a tree frog. You yes. imagine a tree frog, right? Yes. And if you try it. If you just do that, you can't pull the club out. So if you put your finger into your... Just, just you you ca- put, you your, put, put your put finger the, into the, your fingers and touch... You cannot pull your finger out and mm. you can't pull the club out. So he was right about it, right? But somebody didn't think he was, but he was right about that. So you have to, just just to explain, so the pads of your fingertips, yeah. so where, the, where your... Um, your very, very tips must touch the grip. Right. And that's it. And you don't need any pressure. And, he's, and, and um, what's his name? On both uh, hands? No, you left no, hand. No, don't need any pressure on either hand. But Sneed said, you hold the club as if you're holding a canary and you don't want to squash it and you don't want to let it go. <laughs> right? So, so, um, so, that was, uh, so that was one that he, that he said. And, and he, he, he would – I remember playing with him one day at Royal Melbourne. And so who, Sneed or Thompson? No, Thompson. Yeah. I, I, never, I played behind Sneed. I beat Sneed. The only time I ever played in the tournament. <laughs> Here we go. He was 67. Yeah. <laughs> I beat him by one. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, playing with Tomo, and Tomo used to say and told everybody, he said, if you miss the first green at Royal Melbourne, you lose your PGA card. And Tomo hooked it off the tee, and it just rolled about six inches out of the rough. And as I'm walking down the fairway, I said, well, Tomo, you better go. I said, you're not welcome. He said, it doesn't apply to presidents. <laughs> so he was, he was just magic. Yeah. And the other guy, the other very good player I played, I played with Trevino, also at Royal Melbourne. Yeah. And um, I used to, um, I used to hit left to right. And he obviously hit left to right. And I thought, oh, I'll follow this bloke because he's he's won a, he's won more US Opens than I have. So the first hole, we both carved it down the right hand side, hit it on the green. The second hole, par five, we both hit it on for two. And the third hole, I outdrove him by about five yards. That that's the first on the east course at Royal Melbourne, the third on the composite. And he he picks a club out of the bag. He's got about 80 yards, 70 yards maybe, but a very difficult shot. He takes out a four iron. He runs it down the hill at does a right-hand curve, goes in behind the bucket of three foot, and as he walks back to his bag, he, look, <laughs> he looks at me and he says, follow that, Sonny. <laughs> I just hit a wedge up the back of the green. Yeah. I said, I wasn't going anywhere near that. So, I mean, obviously, Lee Trevino, um, one of the best. When you played with him, were you in awe? Like, an, an, was was it a, you know an amazing spiritual experience? Oh, you sit there and you just go, "Oh my God!" Or, or were you? I remember every shot he hit and every shot I hit. Right. And and um, when we finished, um, he said to me, and, and I, I actually I he shot sixty six and I shot sixty nine. I played quite well, and I think he birdied two out of the last three holes. But anyway, when we got in, he said, "He said, what are you doing tonight?" I said, "I, I said, oh, oh, not much." He said, well, "Why don't you come for dinner?" 
I said, where are we going? He said, you got to, we're going to taco Bill's in <laughs> South Melbourne. And that was the first time. Sorry, Lee Trevino. Lee Trevino and Fuzzy Zeller. Fuzzy And I can tell you this, you can tell I'm a bit verbose, I didn't get a word in. I just laughed the whole night. When we didn't, we, we left there about 1.30, right? Taco Bell in South Melbourne. Taco Bill's. And the funny Hang thing... Hang on, when, what, what year was this? 1974 okay. or 5, right, I right. think. Anyway, that was Billy Chilkett, who was a member at um, Commonwealth had a Mexican wife and and she started the cooking at Taco Bills and and he became he became he got a chain of them going and he outsmarted Taco Bell. So Oh so Taco Bills. Taco Bill. His name was Billy Chilkett. Okay, so Bills. I thought it was Taco Bell. Yeah. I'm thinking, geez. So anyway, coincidentally I I knew Billy very well. Not that stage when I went there the first time, but later on I, I knew him very well and um and he was invited by Lion Breweries, which was owned by Kieran, to go over to New Zealand and they were going to buy Taco Bill's franchise for New Zealand from him, you see. So we went, so he came to the New Zealand Open at Grange that was sponsored by Lion and they put him into the tents and he, he drank copious quantities of booze yeah. and he was, and Jose Luis Olathabel was playing there as the guest and he, he was the only guy who spoke Spanish, so he was Jose's interpreter right, right. so we went so out for dinner we drunk. went to a place called Prado in Ponsonby and and uh, Bill had been on the source the whole day <laughs> and uh, they, he ordered spaghetti anyway he, he's there and and Jose Luis next door to him and about 7.30 Bill falls face forward into the spaghetti <laughs> just plot right and and uh, and Jose Luis says Bill is pierced <laughs> So, so that was, but anyway, that was, so that was South Melbourne. There was the only one at Taco Bills, and he made a, he, he did very well. I think he introduced up with thirty or forty of them, you know. Right. But anyway, so, so, but Trevino taught me two things during, uh, once during and once after that round. He taught me a very clever trick. If you want to hit a low running hook, yeah, with say a five iron, you got to go around a tree or under a tree with a hook. You just put your right foot near the ball, right up to the ball, right, and yeah. just swing away. And what happens is, because at the way your foot is, the club goes back a bit shut and it comes out low and hooking, and it works every time. It's oh, hang on a second. Now, I'm just going to have to slow down and <laughs> give me a visual. Um, because I always thought that if you want to hook, you close your stance. No, forget no about hang on. Hang on, hang on. So I thought you go, you yeah, you put your stance to where you put where you where you yeah, yeah, aim the ball, where you want it to finish, and the club face where you want it to yeah. finish. Yeah, well, no, the opposite. Well, no, no, no. That's 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 true if you're going to hit a high hook or or a or or or, or a standard hook. Okay. Well, you're going to say you've got to draw it against the wind or something. Yeah, that's true, right? But he said if you want to hit a low running hook, you just put your foot right where the ball is. So about two inches from the ball, right, and swing away. Hang on. So in front, to, no, to the front right, of the ball, right, the back right, of the, the ball? The ball's right in front of your toe. Right. So maybe two inches from your toe. And you swing away. And the, and the ball just goes, it goes low and hooks. It's beautiful. It's just, it's a dream, right? So ever since then, that's what I've done. <laughs> okay, so that's how to hit a low running hook. What was the other thing that he taught you? Well, the other thing he did was, 
1969, he did an exhibition with Kevin Donoghue, who I understand is 80 and is off one at Eleonora, right? 80 years old. Still. And, still. And 1969, it was, it was Kevin, Kevin Hartley, who was a tremendous amateur player, Lee Trevino and Orville Moody. And Norman von Neider ran, ran the exhibition. And it was at Yarra Yarra, and, and they, were, they were down on the uh, sixth fairway. And Norman said to, to Lee, now, Lee, you're known for your low ball hitting. I want you to hit a five iron. And the caddy was out of probably about 170 yards, 180 yards maybe, with a baseball glove. And Lee hit this five iron, perfect, beautiful five iron, one bounce into the glove. And Devon said, no, no, lower, lower. So he hit it 10 foot lower. One bounce into the glove. Caddy didn't move. No, no, Lee, lower. So he went 10 foot, 10 foot, 10 foot, 10 foot. The last one was about four feet high and every one of them went one, one bounce into the glove. The best exhibition of striking I'd seen. And then Orville Moody, he went into the bunker 240 yards from the green and he hit four drivers from the bunker. It was deep. It was a deep fairway bunker. He hit four drivers on the green. How? You... you I mean, Kevin Donahue was a great player. He couldn't believe it. I mean, it was just... You could not believe how good those guys were. Right, so, so Trevino... With Trevino his... showed me how to do that. How to... how to, And it's all about the turn of your shoulders. Okay, was... so he's so basically he's doing... His, he's hitting stingers. Stinger. Well, he, no, he, well, he, well, every shot was different. Uh, you know, I mean, he hit he hit one that you would normally hit and then he hit one that you would hit into a strong wind or, or no, an, an ordinary wind and then he hit one into a strong wind and then he hit one into a gale, and every one was perfect. Okay, so what was I remember the... those shots vividly. <laughs> I can see them now. What did he... So what was the secret? secret was how you turned your shoulders. He, 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 he slightly changed his shoulder turn, flatter and flatter and flatter. And, 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 and of course, that comes in with a club face a bit shattered. So and that's all he did. That was all he did. So just... Ex sorry, just explain he that. He showed Stuart Ginn how to do it when Stuart was... Stuart caddied for him. I think at the lakes in the Australian Open. And two or three years later, Stuart played against him in the same, in maybe the Australian Open at the lakes and beat him. And he'd shown Guinea how to do this. And I can remember watching Guinea on the practice floor. He was, he was the assistant general manager at Royal Melbourne. And I remember watching him on the practice floor, flighting these five irons and six irons and wedges. And I thought it was, he goes, that Rotten Trevino's told him something I don't know. And then Trevino told me. Right. So just try and explain that flattening of the shoulders, if well, you can. Well, it, it was it's subtle. It's it's it, it sort of, you know, if you imagine Jack Nicholas's shoulder turn is very upright, um, and um, uh, other players, particularly shorter players, uh, their so shoulder turn, the shoulder turns more round, and he just he just slightly rounded his shoulder turn. It was it was a beautiful thing. Was, so if you look at Adam, so how would you describe well, Adam, Adam Scott? Adam Scott's upright, isn't he? Adam okay. Scott, Adam Scott is, is upright. Um, so when you say the, when, so he flattens it. I know I'm sort of labouring this point, but I'm just trying to. Well, it's a very it's, it's hard to do it without actually yeah. seeing somebody doing it. But he he didn't make it. It wasn't a big change, he, and he didn't try to keep his left hand you would imagine that he would try to keep his left mm. hand further in front but he didn't change his ball position well, that was the amazing thing he just did it by his shoulder turn so what do you think with so let's say 40 something years in the golf more industry what 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 is is there one thing 
is there, I mean, I know there's not one thing, but is there one thing that you've learnt from one of these brilliant players that he, you just have the never... Other thing I, the other thing he told me, he said, John, he said, never, ever get a motel room <laughs> without carpet squares or lino tiles. And he said, the reason is, he said, you've got to check, and this is crucial, he said, you've got to check club face angle, distance from the ball, alignment of your feet, and alignment of your club, and your weight distribution and your grip every day because they change unless you revert back to the norm right. continuously. Right? So you can imagine him every day. Every day. He never drank. Well, he never drank when he was playing tournaments. He mm. did this particular day I played with him, but he normally didn't. <laughs> that was my fault, probably. But well, anyway, so that's so, interesting. So, 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 but you think about this: is is the great players? If you if you look at the great players, their setup doesn't change. So, so, uh, and I don't know whether you want to get on to this now, but I, I'd like to. Is is I think that that there is a big advantage in golf teaching if you forget about the swing for a while and start educating people in standing in the right position for them. So I'll give you an example. Lexi Thompson, very good woman player, has the most wonderful practice swing. And when she stands over the ball, she looks like an octopus with a bad day, right? So, <laughs> so, so the reason for that is that she, her weight distribution is completely different. She must stand too far from the ball and so the weight distribution is different. And if you, if you imagine that we are, we're self-seeking um, people, humans. We, we, want to succeed, we want to have success. Mm. Now, I'll give you a parallel. There are two minds. There's the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. The conscious mind is the one that says to you, I'm going down to the pub and get pissed. <laughs> the subconscious mind is the one that enables you to fuck the fact you're absolutely blind to get back into your car, turn it on, drive home, get home, park the car in the garage, get inside, take your contact lenses out, put them in the right place and go to sleep. That's the subconscious mind. That's the success one. The conscious mind is the stupid one. <laughs> so you don't want to be relying on that. So you want to be relying on the subconscious. So what you should be doing is working on where you swing. When you are perfectly balanced, when your weight is evenly distributed on the balls of your feet, toe and heel, and you're in perfect balance, and wherever the club sits on the ground when you're in that position is where the ball should be when you're swinging, right? So that's cr crucial. The next thing is you want the ball between your feet because if it isn't between your feet, you have to move your head to get to it, which is counterproductive. So the ball should be between your feet. But, but that, that, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Well, but no, not necessarily. You see a whole lot of people who don't do that. Mm. So now the next thing is the, the, the ball should, should traditionally always be, no matter what shot, marginally inside your left heel except possibly with a driver where it's on a tee you might move it forward an inch or two right but what happens now is the, the old traditional teaching theory was that you move the ball back back and back and back as you came to the shorter irons bradley hughes the other day explained it he's a very very good teacher and i, I rate very highly 
He said, no. He said, as you start with your feet together, that's a chip. Now the weight is over your left foot. As your right foot moves back, your centre of gravity moves back with it, and so the ball feels like it's moving back or forward mm. and with the longer clubs, you see. But it actually doesn't change. It's always just inside your left heel, except for a driver, possibly. And your perception of it changes. So it, it perceives to move back with your shorter irons, but in actual fact, all it's moving is your right foot brings your centre of gravity back to the left. So that's a crucial issue. Weight distribution, vital. Distance from the ball. Most bad swings are caused because you stand too far away. Mm. And now you have to make a, a, a change for your subconscious to be able to hit the ball. Very few people miss, if you think about it. Yeah. But they don't necessarily swing properly. So, so say you come to, um, say you come to the situation. I've got a friend of mine who's a lovely guy and a lot of sporting ability called Philip Day, and he lives in Dunedin, owns half of Dunedin, and he used to aim about seventy yards right, and naturally his his subconscious mind wants him to swing down the target line, so he swings right across his body, or he did. And I said to him, I said, it's going to take me two years, but I'm going to fix you. He used to drive at about 240, very strong. And I gradually and gradually and gradually got him to game his feet further and further left. And now he hits at 280 yards. And he and he's a much better player. And he hits a lot of much better. He doesn't hit these choppy cuts he used to hit. <laughs> so the point is, is, is the whole conversation here is what you have to do is you have to get yourself into the perfect position for you. Right. And once you're in that position, like, your golf swing will get better. So I'm getting the feeling that you're, you you look at the people who have a, a system of a swing. So you say, now it's this and you're going to bend that left elbow, left wrist and you're going to get yourself into these set positions. Don't be in a set position. Be in your set. Don't be in a standard set position. Be in your set position. Well, well that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing because let me – did you ever remember Andrew Hilditch was the chairman of selectors at Australian Cricket? Yeah, yeah. Did you remember that Andrew Hilditch is the only batsman I've ever seen whose bat aimed at the bowler? Every other batsman's bat aims to mid-wicket, right? And every other batsman took the bat back on the line that the bat aimed. So the outside gives them room to swing their arms. Hilditch took the bat straight back over the stumps because his bat aimed there. So in other words, the club or the bat goes back where it aims. So all those guys that you see that are fiddling around trying to get the club into a certain position at the top of the backswing or halfway through are wasting their time. All they have to do is fix up the club face and address and it'll sort itself out. Right, okay. Do, 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 the no, 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 I do. I, I understand Hilditch, what... The Hilditch example, mm. I always thought this and the Hilditch example convinced me because he's the only guy that aimed the bat at the at the at the, bat, at the bowler, mm. and the only guy I ever took it back over the stumps. Right. So, not not that long ago, I spoke with a you know a coach about the swing, and who was just adamant that it was not the swing is not an up it's it's not an upright thing. It's an around thing, which were which is maybe works on that cricket bat analogy of going back out from the. You know, on that. Well, he's right because all it is is a baseball swing. Yeah. Bent over. Bent over. And if you can, if you can teach so whoever that, you're teaching to, to swing a baseball bat, which is actually, if you have a look at a lot of, and I, 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 this is not chauvinism, it's, this is trying to use as an example. You see a lot of women 
where the club comes in the follow-through comes up in front of them, right? It doesn't go around behind their neck. Had they been taught originally to a baseball swing, which which everybody can emulate, is you just make a baseball swing, and you and you and you ground that becomes normal, and then you just bend over. You've got a golf swing, and you've got a, and it's it's easy. It's very easy. But you don't want that business where the club comes up and they're, and they're looking through their arms. Oh, I don't know, how does that work? I, you've got no hope. So, 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 I think that your man's right. It is, mm. it is a swing around you at an angle, at say 45 or 60, 70 degrees yeah. or whatever it is for you, depending on your height. Right. And then lies and lofts. So we had a hickory game, you know, a little while ago. And you were saying that the the lofts, and I was thinking, about, I said that my normal golf clubs are two degrees upright, and to which I thought you were going to have a heart attack. Um, you just went, you know, to why are they so upright? So, well, flatter uh, is better. If you hang a golf club from the very end of it, from the grip end, mm-hmm. hold it at the grip end mm-hmm. against the door jam, which is the vertical mm-hmm. of the door you'll see that the line of the centre of gravity runs from high on the heel through the middle down to on the bottom near the number, where the number normally is, which is on the toe side, right? So that's the line of the centre of gravity. You want your club to go through the ball without deviating left or right as it hits the ground. Mm. If if the if the marks are on the bottom of the club when you swing on a rubber mat, that means that it's too upright, right? You need your marks equidistant about the number, the toe end. Now, people listening to this will relate to the fact that when they tee the ball too high with an iron, or they're in long rough, they tend to shank because high on the heel is the centre of gravity. And the mind, the subconscious getting you home from the pub, it's seeking the centre of gravity. It wants the centre of gravity. Yeah. So it knows, you might not know this in your conscious mind, but subconsciously your mind knows that's the centre of gravity, so it seeks the centre of gravity. It's right near the hill, the hill. That's why you shank when you're in long grass, right? So when you're in long grass, you have to try to hit it on the toe because you're most likely to shank. Now, the other facility is... Wow, hang on. That could be the most important thing... That's ever been said. No, well, no, no, this, this is the most important. Oh, thing. great! When you're chipping, <laughs> and, you, yes. and you might be a f- hit your chips fat. Yeah. The solution is to hold the club up so the heel's off the ground, and if you hit it off the toe, low, low on the club, you'll find that's the middle. So the middle of the club, low, is on the toe. That's when you hit the ball in the middle of the club, low. It feels like you've hit it on the heel. Because you've hit it on the heel side of the centre of gravity, so so those two things can save you a lot of shots. If you're a fat chipper, hit it on the toe with your hands raised up a bit. Right. So, right. What if you're think, a sculler? That means your club face is too open at address. Yeah. Scull, that's when you scull, right? So so that you, so you square the club up a bit and you won't scull. But coming back to um, your golf clubs, uh, I I showed this. To, to Carsten Solheim in 1978 at the British Ping, Open at Mr. St. Andrews, Ping. Mr. Ping at St Andrews. Yeah. And I said, Carsten, I said, I hung the club from the door jam and he nodded his head. 
And I said, look, I said, the, the center of gravity runs down through here. He said, oh, yes, 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 he said. I said, well, why do you make your club so upright? He said, well, <laughs> if I made them correctly, no one would buy them. Well, That's what he said. If I made them correctly, no one would buy them. So correctly so, is flatter yeah. for everybody. And strangely enough, Brad Hughes agrees. So now you made clubs. You, you had your JEs. No, no, the EGs. EGs. Yeah, I made, first club I made was called The Club. And, and Brian Jones heard me one day and he said, I was up in Japan the other day, mate, and I was talking to this club manufacturer and he said he was going to bring out a club called The Club. And I said to him, I said, there's a bloke down in New Zealand who's going to sue you if you do that. And he stopped. Wow. I said, I, w- I couldn't have afforded to sue him, but thanks, Jonesy. So I made The Club, which in 19, 20, 20 years later, I was in the German seniors and I had three, Randall Vines was using a set, of yours of the of the club and and uh, he might have been using the AG anyway. Three of the English pros wanted to buy a set of irons from me. David Graham played with Michael Ferguson, who was using the club at the Australian Masters, and David sought me out. I knew David, but David sought me out. He said, "Jay, he said, could you get me a set of those heads?" He said, "I want to use them in the tournament." And he and he 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 shafted them up himself, a set of the club, and he fin- he re- finished third in the Masters. He did it on Tuesday, practiced with him on Wednesday and finished third in the Masters, could have won it. And, and he said, he sent me a lovely letter saying, these are the best heads I've ever seen, which was a nice rap. Mm. I've, got that, I've still got that letter. <laughs> Bet you As, absolutely. So, so the clubs I made, the heads were made in Japan. Yeah. And I think uh, this is a nice story. I, I was up there and Kiyofumi Yasutaki was the marketing manager, spoke perfect English. And uh, he had me on one side of the factory on my own, but I was allowed to go into the grinding room and show the, China, the Japanese grinders what I wanted done. And I went in to have a cup of tea. And through, coincidentally, through the door came a fella called Barry Willett. And I said to Barry, I said, Barry, what are you doing here? He said, he said I'm, he said, I'm uh, Mizuno's grinder, and I'm here trying to teach these Japanese how to make a good iron. And I said to him, oh, yes, that's what I'm doing, the same thing over there. He said, well, go and get yours and I'll get mine. And he brought his nine iron out and my nine iron, and they were nearly exactly the same. And I thought, that day, the old Japanese irons used to look like the early pings with a big, high, straight toe, dreadful things here. They looked ugly. Yeah. And I said to Barry, I said, well, Barry, my theory is that the club toe should look like a woman's breast. And he said, exactly. And if, you, <laughs> and if you think about this, if you think about this, remember the old Ford Custom Lines? With, with, remember the Ford Custom Lines used to have that big, sharp uh, tail on them? Mm. Now, every club, every car, every car has a tail that's rounded and beveled. Mm. That's exactly what a golf club should look like. It should look rounded and beveled and so that it's all lovely, soft angles. And if you look at those Japanese... Spalding irons, Japanese Dunlop irons, uh, and even some of the more modern clubs is that they do have that rounded toe look. The, 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 the square toe and, mm. the, and the high toe, they're gone, and, and so they should be. So two things. What, a, what was it like to have your clubs come third in the Masters? 
I mean, that must have been... Well, I also made a set of clubs for Bob Charles. Mm. And Bob Charles... Bob Charles... Who's the, who is the granddaddy of New Zealand golf? The best left-hander yeah. probably of all time. One of British, first guy to win a British Open, left-hander to win a British Open. And he came to me very... And I didn't know this. He said, Johnny said, my, my two-iron has to weigh this, the head has to weigh this much, the three-iron head has to weigh this much, the four, five, six, seven, eight, nine wedge sand iron have to weigh exactly these, these weights exactly. And he said, the grips have to weigh exactly 51 grams each, no deviation, and each shaft has to weigh this much after it's cut. You can imagine how many shafts we had to make wow. to, to cut the length to get to the exact specifications. It took a month. Took one guy, I had one guy make the clothes a month. And Bob got them, and they were perfectly swing weighted. Absolutely perfectly D3. It was amazing. I thought, you know, you don't <laughs> think about it that way. Right, right. How does it work? So, anyway, I was doing the top television commentaries, and we're on the wrecker at Titterangi, which is about the 13th. 13th this is the 13th, and there's a big tree in the middle of the thing, and they had to wait. Don Bees was playing with Bob. And he won the airlines at age 51, playing with Bob. Bob finished third. And Don Bees walked back to about 60 yards to come back and see me. And he, he came up to me and said, John, he said, you don't know who I am. I said, yes, I do, Don. You're going to win here. <laughs> he, said, uh, he said, well, look, he said, I wanted to tell you, I had dinner with Bob last night. And he said, these are the best set of clubs he's ever seen. Wow. Which was a lovely rap. Yeah. He said, Bob will never tell you, he said. And he never did. So that... I told Peter Williams, the, the other commentator, this, and he said, oh, I'm going to go down and interview Bob, you know, about his round. He said, I'll ask him. Yeah. So <laughs> he, he goes up to Bob. He said, well, Bob, he said, what do you think of, the, of, of your clubs that you played with in this tournament? And Bob said, well, I've played with these kind of clubs for 25 years. And I thought, thanks, Bob. And uh, anyway, I rang his wife. But that was it. That's all he said. He never, he never made any comment about it all. Don B's made it. He didn't. Right. But anyway, so I rang up Verity, his wife, who's a superwoman, and I think she's she's Bobby Coles. No, she's she's um, Bobby Verway's sister. Bobby Verway was a great player, and thing, and, and the other sisters married so a great player. Right. So, so, okay, so wow. Bob and Bob and Gary are brothers-in-law. See, so um, I rang up Verity. I said, "Gee," I said. I said, I'm paying this guy 10 grand a year to promote me. And she said, John, you know he's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you say now? Yeah, it's over, right. It's over. So I thought, okay. But anyway, so that was that. So, so David Graham and Bob Charles both said that they were as good a set of clubs. And they were the same. No, yeah. they weren't the same model. They were a slightly different model. And so, um, so that was, it was lovely to get that... Um, recognition mm. in particular from david who who was mcgregor's chief head designer at the time so how how do these clubs i mean how do you look at the new clubs now you know that that they're with their stronger lofts and with a sad with a excitement or a sadness or a you, you, well, we, I think they've. I, I, I stopped making clubs in 1999, and yeah. to be frank with you, I don't think I could assemble a club today. It's it's a, it's a, it's a foreign game to me. It's a, it's it's completely foreign. Um, I don't know how these driver works. With the, you get the thing and screw it up and change the lock. I don't know how that works. I saw something today yesterday that gave me a bit of a clue. But but um, uh, I've got to say that 
that um, the modern clubs, the modern irons and woods for the average player are a huge technical advantage. Mm. But for a golf pro, a very good golf pro, I can't spin my Cobra irons that I play with most of the time, but not all the time. I can't spin the seven, eight, nine iron the same. I can't make the ball go bang, one bounce, stop. But when I go and play with the blades, I can control the spin. I can I can make it bounce and spin after one bounce or two bounces, sometimes three bounces. And and so I just think I just think that, that it's all about now about distance. It's not so much about what we had to do, particularly growing up with a small ball. We had to control the ball. We we didn't have you know, it was more important to hit it where you wanted to go than it was to hit it a long, long way. I mean, the long hitters had an advantage. Nicholas, I played behind him in uh, the Australian Open in 1971, and he was he was much better than anybody else. Much better. Much better striker, better putter, terrible bunker player, but everything else, he was much better than everybody else. And uh, But I think that the uh, I'm using now my... A set of clubs I made in 1983 or four, um, and I've lengthened them an inch mm. and flattened the lie. So now they, 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 but they look terrific, and I, and I feel that I hit them almost as far as the modern clubs, and I've got more control over the spin. Have you bent them? Have you bent the yeah. lofts? Yeah, up? I've, I've, I've made them a bit stronger, um, I, I, and I even found an old EG one iron that Johnny Lister had. <laughs> yeah. And I've got that. I, sna- I, I said to him, "Can I buy this off you?" And he said, "Well, I haven't paid for it, so you might as well take it." So I, so I, so I got a one. So you got said, one of your own one irons that you never had. I've ne- he said, "I've never paid for a club except this sand iron." He had this beautiful Cleveland sand. He said, "I bought that the other day." He said, "It's fantastic." But he said, "I," he said, "I haven't paid for these, Jay. So you take it back." So the one iron is unbelievable. Right. It goes like a. It goes better than a modern three iron. What's that, what's that old saying? Yeah, you, you can't. God even, even God can't. Yeah. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, what's your favourite part of golf? Like, what's the what what? I mean, it's your it's your bit. Like, literally, it's your life. It's your business life. Well, I think as much I, as anything. I think I think that I enjoyed the collecting, but I particularly enjoyed it when they paid for the large collections <laughs> I sold. And I sold one 
Club as I said, owned by Alan Roberts, and I sold that for fifty three thousand. That wasn't a bad deal. Mm. So, so I, I really enjoyed that. Mm. But, but the thing that I'm probably most passionate about is golf course design. Yeah. And um, I, I was instrumental in upgrading and redesigning Chisholm Links in Dunedin, and it's held many, many professional golf tournaments and the New Zealand Amateur, won by Kurt Barnes, and um, and uh, it gets universal acclaim. So I, I love designing. I used to, when we were travelling between tournaments, I would see a tract of land and I could imagine a par five or a par four going through that land and I still do that. Right, so you've, you've busted, basically. You just, you know, it, it's a, you've got the disease as well in. And you can't turn it off. I think that, I think that when you grow up in Melbourne, which, which personally I think has the world's best golf courses in multiple multiplicity of golf courses mm. in the one town is unbelievable. I mean, you could, you, 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 even the bad courses are good, you know. I mean, and even the courses on bad ground, like Riversdale, is a very, very good golf course. Mm. But the courses on the sand belt, um, I mean, you can be disparaging about Huntingdale, but Huntingdale's a great golf course. And it just isn't a, if it was in Sydney, yeah, it'd be it'd the, be the best, best in, Sydney. in Sydney. Yeah, it's funny, you that know, isn't but, it? But, but, but it's realistically, it's probably 20th or 25th in, in, in Victoria, in, in, in the Melbourne, Mornington Peninsula area. Um, you know, I mean, Royal Melbourne, I was there at the President's Cup. I won there. I've told you that. I'm going to tell you again, too. That's not the last time. I shot 71 69. And uh, so the, the Royal Melbourne is, when you're playing there, I remember coming off, I think it was 1975 or 6, we played at Chrysler Classic there, and the, and the wind blew from the northwest, and I hit my ball about 10 foot past on the 16th, had a downhill putt, and I looked at the putt and I thought, if I miss this, it's going to go into the bunker, which was 60, 70 yards away. There's mm. no way to stop it. The mm. wind was whistling down the grain, you know. And fortunately, I hit the lip and it spun out, and I only had about a four-footer. But I got in there, and this is a great story, I got in there to the clubhouse and I said to Kel, I said, Kel, I hit it about 10 foot past at 16. And I said, I had, I had no idea what to do. He said, you lick the ball and you drop it in the bunker. What? What do you mean? Well, it's now got sand on it and it's got more friction. It doesn't run so far. Wow. So you accidentally drop it in the bunker. He well, wasn't I don't s- think it was illegal at that when he right, right. It's probably illegal now, but yeah, it wasn't yeah. illegal. Well, I wonder if it is. Well, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it isn't. But I can tell you this: I tried it and it worked. And, Jeez! And I saw. Bob, so if you've got a slippery downhiller, you know, I, I, I'm not sure we should be advising the public on how to do this because it may well be illegal. Yeah, right. Moment. Well, that's for, that's to work out, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'm not a rules. Yeah, but anyway, Person. he said to me, as I said, Nagel and Thompson, they 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 had more they had more moves than a Swiss watch. <laughs> right? So this was the one he said to me, which I thought was fantastic, you know. And and anyway, I saw Bob Charles that day, and you know when people used to come back from the war and their eyes were way back in their head, and they, you know and they looked like they'd been through, you know, they had shell shock. Mm. Charlie walked out of the clubhouse, and I saw him, and I thought Bob's going to die. It was a tough day. I think the right. the average score was. I think. In fact, I think twenty three over was on the leaderboard. Jeez, jeez. Right. I'm not sure that 16, 16 over wasn't third. So it was a northerly wind, eh? 
Hot North League. Shearer won with one under par. He won by a street. Right. But um, before you, before anyone um, is done with the game, what what should they experience? What must they experience to to leave golf um, sated, satisfied? Shoot your age or better. I think it's probably uh, that's certainly my. I've got a bet with a QC and Johnny Billington in Tetarangi that he's a year younger than me. I said first to beat their age. Big dinner, very good <laughs> wine. So that's my ambition. And Charlie, Charlie did it twice in in a tour, European Tour tournament at seventy one. Right. I mean, it's a phenomenal achievement. Could you? So how close have you got? Well, I reckon if I went off the white tees, I could do it pretty easily. But mm. uh, you know, I play off the blues or the blacks. Um, I've got about two away, and I rallied at the end, so I, I didn't really have a chance to do it. Um, I'm seventy three. So I've got to shoot one over, one under, or par, par to, par to do it. Um, and I'll do it. I think I can do it this year because I had a new hip last year and up until then I, was, I couldn't hit. But I'm coming back now and I'm hitting it a lot further and a lot better. And, and um, I'm even getting the odd complimentary remark about my swing, which I didn't do when I had a crook hip, I can assure you. So I think I can do it. And it's all a matter of just... Uh, putting a little better and I'll do it and that'll be fantastic but the other thing I think that that um, that people wanting to enjoy the game should do is is become better balanced you should be balanced at address you'll be balanced during the swing and you should definitely be balanced when you finish your swing and if you do that and miss the ball it's because you're too far away right Byron Nelson said, and I'm not sure this is right, but Byron Nelson said, you can't stand too close. So close is better than far away. Now, I was teaching Greg Turner, playing at Castle Hill in the Australian PGA Championship, and Norman had won six in a row. And and I was trying to tell Greg, you've got to stand closer, you're way, way too far. He was about 15 inches or 18 inches too far for the ball, he was falling over. Shot 76. So I got him up on the practice ferry. I said, Greg, you've got to stand closer, much closer. He said, no, no, that's not it. It's a swing. So Bob Stanton, who's an old mate of mine, was about 10 yards away. And he hadn't heard the guy. I said, Bob, can you come over here and tell me what you think? <laughs> In the middle of a tournament, like this, between this day one and two or something. One. Yeah, right. After round one. And Bob walked over and he looked and he said, geez, he's a long way from the ball. <laughs> And, and yeah, that was all he said, you see. And so Turner got the message that it wasn't just me. That, that, so he came in about six inches. So the next day he's in the bunker on, on nine, playing the back, he played the back nine first. He's on the bunker on nine, he's got to get up and down with a pin on the back tier and he's got a 70-yard bunker shot. He hits it up to six foot and holds it for four to get in, make the cut by one. He's on the cut number. So I get him up to the practice area again. I said, you've got to get in another six inches. I said, you're still nine inches too far away. So he comes in six inches, flushes it, goes out and shoots 65. So now he's 76, 68, 65, and he's in the last group. He's four behind Norman and three behind, or one behind Marsh in the last group. And he catches Norman. And on the 10th hole, Norman hits it, flushes his drive, and Turner carried him. And Norman just went down like a prick balloon. And here we are. Norman went, down, Norman went down like a prick balloon and was no longer a factor in the event. Right. 
and Turner made a gross error of judgment on the par three. The pin was on the right. Kai Kuyu going, or, or, or you know, Kai Kuyu going down the bank, couldn't run it up, and should have hit it 20 feet left, and hit it at the flag, missed by six inches, rolled down the bank, took four, and Harwood slipped in and won. Turner should have won, but that was an example of the difference being the correct distance can make to a player. 76, 68, 65, 69. Wow. So just your lessons. We've got Thompson's finger pads on the grip. You've got Trevino's... Distance uh, from the ball, lino tiles. Lino tiles. I forgot the lino tiles. Lino tiles and carpet squares. Crucial. Trevino... He he emphasised this right, and, but also you've got before the before we went to dinner. Yeah, <laughs> but you've also got that. You want to hit the low slinging hook shot, the ball, the toe well, bar, just two inches from the put ball. Your foot two inches from the ball. Your right foot two inches of the ball, and just swing away. Balance, balance, balance. Balances, balance is so critical. Balance at all times at address, so you're not leaning forward. That's because when you lean forward, you imagine if you're a boxer and you try to hit someone with your weight on your toes, try it. Try to swing a punch with your weight on your toes, you fall over. Get your weight back on the balls of your feet, you've got all the power. So, so it's grossly, vitally important that you're balanced at address and that you stay balanced during the swing, which means that your body doesn't move up or down or back or forward. And, and then you're in perfect balance, you can pick your right foot up when you finish your swing. Now you're in balance the whole way. If you don't hit the ball, you're in the wrong position. Yeah, right. Right. So you don't. Most people will make the adjustment in their swing to match their incorrect setup position. That's not the idea. Fix your setup. Everything in the game is swinging like a baseballer and get in the right position. Swing like a baseballer and bend over. That's the game. John Evans. I'm going to leave it there. Fantastic. All right, look, we'll talk again. I know that we will talk again. Um, thanks so much for your time. I've really loved it. They're great stories um, and great stories about other people in your life. And just thanks. It was fantastic. Been a pleasure, Andrew. And I hope we can get another hickory game like we did the other day. That'd be good. Thanks, John. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.